0: Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. All right, this morning we're back in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 22. So as you're turning there, our Looking there in your bulletin. Uh, Two things before we we read our passage this morning. Uh, First, at at the end of our passage, you're going to notice uh, that Jesus, well, he lays out some teaching that's very easy to misunderstand. Um, He gives two promises. Um, And and though he's talking to his disciples, one of those promises is to all of his people, all of God's people. He promises that if we are in him, one day we will eat and drink at his table uh, in the kingdom. And though we will like, literally eat and literally celebrate with Jesus in life eternal throughout Scripture, that imagery of a great banquet feast is also symbolic for all the blessings that God has for his people in the everlasting kingdom. That, that no matter how great life can be at times in this life, in, in the words of Bachman Turner, Overdrive, right? It's like, you ain't seen nothing yet. Okay. So that's, that's one promise. Uh, the promise of future blessing and future joy in Christ. But then there's that second promise is only to Jesus's like literal disciples that he's talking to right there, the apostles. He notes that in the everlasting kingdom, the apostles will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And you read that, I read that like what's going on there? I thought God was the only one who's sitting on the throne. I thought Jesus was our great judge. Well context, right? Context is important. This morning, Jesus is teaching about greatness. What does true greatness look like? And he also knows that things will end badly for every single one of his apostles, that by worldly standards, none of them would be considered particularly honored. And so he gives them a glimpse into their future of what, of what their apostolic work of serving him and teaching the gospel would result in. You know, to judge in the Bible means to rule, or it means to have authority over and the 12 tribes, that's symbolic of, of really just all of God's people. So as to say, Jesus is promising that his first disciples, that, that in serving him, they would receive a place of privilege and even deference among God's people in the kingdom of God. And In other words, we're not going to be worshipping Peter. We're not going to be worshipping Matthew or even Paul, but how we are thankful uh, for their service to us in teaching us Jesus. That's the first thing, because we're not even really going to get to that part. Second, this passage is super sobering. Uh, Of all of Luke, this may be the clearest mirror into our hearts. It's piercing. And like you know how every family, or seemingly every family, maybe even every marriage, has that one particular topic, uh, one argument that seems to to never get settled. It just kind of simmers beneath the surface until something is said, at which point the ongoing argument comes back up, and here we go again. Well, the disciples, they also had an ongoing argument that just kept coming up. It was their favorite thing to talk about. Which of them was the greatest? Uh, Which one of them could one-up the others better? Look, we've all been to dinner parties or been around friends and uh, where this happens, right? Where something is shared, and instead of celebrating that person's achievement, yeah, that's great. Um, it turns into a one-up fest, right? Well, we know that at this point in their spiritual growth, the disciples, the desire to be great was still very much central to them because of when these arguments seemed to come up throughout Scripture. Mark notes that on one occasion, Jesus shouldn't laugh, Jesus just told his disciples that he was going to Jerusalem to die. He's going, he's going to die. And how did his disciples respond? They immediately started talking about which one of them was the greatest. They started arguing over the will essentially who's gonna get what and who's gonna be in charge of what when Jesus is gone. Well, then, then Mark says on another time, it was after they had just failed, they weren't able to cast out a demon. And instead of that driving them to humility and, yeah, we really do need Jesus more than we thought, they again started arguing over who was better than who. They're basically, well, I'm weak, but I'm not as weak as you. Well, of all the inappropriate times to talk about greatness our passage this morning may take the cake because they had just if you remember from several weeks ago they had just finished receiving the lord's supper the 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 last supper that jesus had with them what we would call communion they commune with god and with each other if there was ever a time to feel united it was this is the time but not only that at the end And we're going to read this this morning. Jesus said, not only am I going to be killed, but one of you, like one of you right here is going to betray me. And talk about sobering. And yet, how did they respond? They got back on that topic of who's better than who. And who knows, maybe they all started defending themselves. Maybe they started talking about all the sacrifices that they had made to follow Jesus and how they are like, I'm solid. I'm locked. It ain't going to be me. And it's mind-boggling and yet you know it would be very easy to say look at these selfish selfish disciples all they think about and all they care about is themselves being better than their peers it'd be very easy to look down our noses at them if that was not also exactly what we uh, what i can be prone to as well right like them we can, we can hear the gospel, and we can hear the call to repentance. We can be sobered even by our need of God's grace. And we can do that even at worship, and then as soon as the benediction is sounded and we are let out, what are we we're immediately tempted to do? Uh, instead of talking through what that may mean in our lives, like the disciples, we can be tempted to, well, to talk about what we're truly excited about. Uh, what's truly nearest and dearest to our hearts. So this is sobering because this is such a mirror to our own fickle hearts. And yet even there we find God's grace and a beautiful call back to the Jesus way. Okay, So with that, let's go to God's word. and Here Jesus is teaching. Luke 22, 19 through 30. This says God's word. And Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying... This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the son of man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who's going to do this. A dispute arose, also arose among them, as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader is one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This is God's word. I'll tell you, Jesus is reading our mail. He's reading my mail this morning. That desire not just to be better, but to be better than our neighbors, to be better than others, is as old as sin itself. Uh, you know, the original temptation to Adam and Eve in the garden was that you would be like God, that you would be great. It's the Tower of Babel all over again, right? We're gonna build something amazing to make our name great. This is how we're gonna be remembered. And if you remember our, our series from a few years ago on the seven deadly sins, in that series we found that one, Uh, was particularly deadly. Uh, C.S. Lewis even called it the great sin. Uh, He said it's the sin we can so obviously see in everyone else, we can totally see it, and yet be so blind to it in our own lives. It's the sin of pride. It's that sin that, that, and we feel this on a daily basis, that that we or that our group or that our team is is better, uh, prettier, smarter, uh, wealthier, uh, Presbyterians were more theologier than we're, we're just greater than others, and, and we found that if we really took an inventory and we were really honest, we'd find that much of the sin in our own lives is an outworking of pride. It's an outworking of, of the pursuit of er, right? Whatever that er is for us. All the while, researchers have found this is interesting: that the human soul wasn't made for fame. That. Once you become a celebrity and you get real famous, we kind of stop handling that super well. We just don't handle it. And, of course, there are attempts to explain why, but could it be because we weren't made to be famous? And we were made to revel in the fame of God. We we were made to make his name great. And yet, because of the fall, and you could argue to the detriment of our own souls, we can't help ourselves. We find ourselves surrounded by a culture where we're like everybody and their cat now has a YouTube channel and wants to go viral, right? Um, Yet as Jesus taught his disciples and as he teaches us time and time and time again, this is one of the most common things Jesus taught, true greatness is the total opposite of going viral. Jesus had to teach this so often because it's not only counter to our upward mobile world uh, but it's also so stinking hard to hear it's nothing like our world has seen in fact that's how jesus begins with how our world views greatness this is what you'll hear which is our first brief point verse 25 he says the kings of the gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors okay in other words jesus is saying the Gentiles, those who are outside of the people of God, those who are outside of the people of God have a definition of greatness that goes like this. The greatest people, the most respected people, are the ones with the most power and the most prestige. Those are, that's what you want. Or, or maybe you've heard of the uh, oppressor-oppressed framework, right? Uh, that the oppressor is the one with the power and the oppressed don't have power. And so it's argued that within that framework, justice means taking power from the oppressor and giving power to the oppressed. But, but regardless, still greatness is, and position is tied to how much power or lack thereof that you have. And so look, Jesus taught this 2000 years ago. It's like he's reading our textbooks today. And so I, I, I don't think this can be emphasized enough but notice how outside the people-of-God way, the anti-God way of greatness, sounds an awful lot like we think today, awful lot like what we are taught. It's things like, look, if, I, if I'm going to be a great pastor, I've got to preach in a big church, in a big city, right? If, if you're going to rise up, then you need that promotion. Um, greatness is still defined by money, power, and prestige, right? So today, the greatest people are either the billionaire businessmen and women, the politicians with lots of power, the celebrities with tons of followers. Uh, It's the people who are on top, and then there's the people who are beneath them. One pastor said, worldliness is a hunger for respectability. That's what worldliness is. Um. And so when these powerful people interact with the lowly as jesus says that they, they like to consider to consider themselves benefactors that it's it's charity you know they're giving charity to those beneath them and we could only we could only be so lucky that taylor swift right out of the goodness of her heart is bestowing upon us taylor's versions of the record she's already asked us to buy once before right like we're buying the same records twice while saying thank you taylor thank you you're so kind right um look to our world's metrics for greatness, Johnny Erickson Tata looked no further than the MBA students uh, at Harvard. Uh, As part of their program, the students were asked to develop a strategic plan entitled, uh, what do I hope to achieve in life after graduation? It's a pretty good plan. Great question. So what did the leading business minds of America hope to achieve? Well, Johnny noted that their, their number one priority was wealth, amassing wealth. Number two priority was notoriety, and then number three was status. Uh, she then noted not a single student said anything in their strategic plan about serving other people. So this week, Emilia told, Emilia told me that she and her brother, uh, Nick, uh, drove over to Greenville to watch The Iron Claw. Okay? Uh, it's a wrestling movie, she says. And she told me all about it. And well, in that vein, right, before Jesus comes off the top rope and power bombs our false notions of greatness, please know that Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't strive for excellence. He's not saying try to be subpar. No, like everything we do in life, we're to do it heartily as to the Lord. So he's not saying don't make money, don't grow businesses. No, like do all that. Right, pursue academic and athletic prowess. Just do so in the Lord. There, there's a difference. So all of those things that are done for God's glory, that, that's still online. Okay. So with that, here comes that elbow drop in the Jesus way of greatness. Yo, this is so radical. Okay, we're not hearing this outside of these walls. Verse 26. Jesus said, "All of that that we just talked about, power, prestige, da da da." May it not be so with you. Wow. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. You know, un, maybe unlike today in the ancient Near East, younger people actually regarded the elders as better than them. Can you imagine that? That young people looked at older people and like, they're better than me. I need to respect them because they're smarter and they, they know what they're doing. Um, they gave them deference. So Jesus is saying, if you want to be great, consider others as better than you. Uh, Offer someone else the the choice piece. Offer someone else first dibs. You know, listen to someone else's concerns rather than you being the one doing all the talking. Give deference and respect to others. And then Jesus notes that, that a leader is actually one who serves. That's what leadership means. Y'all remember Chris Stapleton won the 2023 Country Entertainer of the Year. But most people didn't talk about the award that he won. Rather, what everyone talked about was how at the end of the night, when everyone had left, the, the, the arena is empty, um, there is Chris Stapleton with leaf blower in hand helping the, the staff clean up the arena. Um, that's what Jesus is saying. That's leadership. This week I listened to an interview of a, a PCA pastor who... <laughs> He was called to ministry out of a successful business career. And he said that with his business background, he thought that the, the church leadership part that would be, or the pastoring part that would be the easiest, was, uh, was leadership, church leadership. That would be a strong suit. But then when he got in ministry, he realized that he knew how to be a boss, but he didn't know how to lead. He found that there's a huge difference He found that leadership wasn't about barking orders, but building camaraderie and serving others so that actually they could flourish better. Phil Riken he he tells the story of a missionary that was sent to Papua New Guinea um, who went there as a translator. His goal was to go infiltrate, if you want to say it, the culture, get to know the language, and then translate the New Testament into the local language of the Itamul tribe there on the island. And so as he was living amongst the tribe and learning their language, he saw something really, really interesting about their culture. He found that in their tribe, the most important person, like the leader, the most most important person, always sat in the middle of the canoe. While the least important person in the tribe sat in the back of the canoe and did all the work paddling the important person. Well, learning that, this is how he translated Jesus' teaching in this passage uh, into their language. He translated it, If a person wishes to be a leader, they should not sit in the middle of the canoe, but in the back. Let them do everyone's work. <laughs> Just a little different from the way our world says it, right? Okay, well, as if that's not enough, Jesus then asked that rhetorical question, All right, look, who, Who's greater? Just think about it. One who lays back and receives service or the one serving? And so Jesus answered that the way that we in our, you know, our world would answer it. Well, obviously, the one being served is the greater. But then Jesus, a.k.a. the greatest person to walk the earth, said, but I am among you as the one who serves. And with that, Jesus turned our understanding of greatness on its head. Um, the greatest thing that we can do is be useful, right, is to serve. So the word Jesus used here for service was the word deacon. In Jesus' day, deacons were basically busboys. They were table waiters. They worked for the good of someone else, someone else's flourishing. And that's why to this day, the chief servants in the church and those who model what servant leadership looks like to the congregation are called deacons. You know, they exist for someone else's flourishing. Look, apart from Jesus, this sounds crazy. Like, who would do this? In an upward mobile world, how and why in the world would Christians take the low place? Well, if we miss the gospel, we never will take the low place. Uh, We'll just fall in line with the rest of our culture, and we'll continue taking our cues from those who are outside of the people of God about what greatness is. So the gospel message is, we know this, the the grandest, most glorious person who ever walked the earth made himself a servant. And he served you by giving his life as a ransom. You know, in the ancient Near East, a a ransom was payment made to set a slave free. Upon payment, you you were free, baby. And that's what he did on the cross. He died to pay the debt and to set his people free. And he didn't do so begrudgingly. He wasn't rolling his eyes at our mess like others might in our lives. No, for the joy that was set before him, he served. He served willingly to give you what you desire most, a way back home to the Father. So only in first receiving Jesus' service to us Will we ever be compelled, and you could say empowered, to this better way? The, the, the Jesus way of greatness. I, I know, like, some of y'all are looking at me like I have, like, antlers out of my head. Like, I know this is so different from what we are told. But this is the Jesus way. Y'all, the greatest people in the kingdom were probably those you've never even heard of, uh, who, have, who have been served by Jesus and then respond to the gospel by following him. J.C. Ryle said, True greatness does not consist in being an admiral, a general, a statesman, or an artist. It consists in devoting ourselves, body, soul, and spirit, to the blessed work of making our fellow men and women more holy and more happy. It is is those who exert themselves by the use of Scripture means to lessen the sorrow and increase the joy of all around them. I, I, I notice a lack of like who can make the most money and have the most things. It's, it's really about serving your fellow man, be more holy and more happy. So, what well, that changes things. You know, students, what if, if that was the lens through which you process what you want it to be when you grew up? Grew up. And by the way, this is one of the reasons we meet together as Christians, and this is why it's so important that you be here. When we meet, it's because as we follow Christ, we also need each other to, to bear one another's burdens and, and to lessen each other's sorrow and increase joy. All right, well, as we close, I, I've mentioned this several, several times, especially on this topic, in C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. Of course, it's a, it's a fictional account, um, not unlike Don Piper. It's, uh, it's an account of a man who lives in hell, but he takes a, a trip, like a day trip, to go up to heaven, and he gets to experience what heaven is like. Um, and when he gets there, he sees this, this woman who's walking, and it's just this amazing parade. It's this huge entourage surrounding this woman. They're singing. They're, they're throwing flowers up in the air. It's this amazing scene. And, and he thinks that this woman, surely, she just had to be somebody special on earth. She had to be a celebrity, somebody really great. And so here's the dialogue the man from hell had with his heavenly tour guide. Is she? Is she? I whispered to my guide. Not at all, said he. It's someone you'll never have heard of. On earth she was a lowly woman. Her name was Sarah Smith, and she lived at Golders Green. The man from hell said, well, she seems to be a person of particular importance. To her God said, "I. she's one of the great ones. Ye have heard that fame in this country and fame on earth are two quite different things. Well, one pastor said, you know you're developing a servant's heart when people start treating you like a servant and you don't resent it. That's the transforming power of the gospel. And that's what happens when you've been served by our great servant, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Well, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this time to sit and just ponder your word. Thank you for your spirit for coming and illuminating this passage. Lord, we ask that you would hide your teaching, hide your way deep in our hearts, So, Lord, that as we walk out, remind us of what true greatness looks like. Lord, call us back to the Jesus way. Uh, Lead us to repentance. And, and Lord, we ask that now as we come to your table and we see a picture of what was promised us in this passage, that that one day we're going to eat and drink uh, with you in the heavenly kingdom. Uh, Lord, use this as a means of grace to your people this morning. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.